Hey, everybody. Welcome to Yawa, episode 67, I believe it is. That it is. All right. We're refreshing. We're there. We're live. We are live. And Ethan hit the record button. Heck yeah. We're done. We are on top of it today. Sweet. So a couple fun things. First of all, while we are running with the intros, we want to know where y'all are from. Check-ins, folks. We've got people bopping in here pretty quick now. Takes a second. I know it sends out notifications. If you aren't a subscriber and aren't uh, don't have notifications turned on, you aren't getting notifications. But for those of you that do, you just got an update. Hey, we're going live. The other thing is that I just found out, and sorry for all you suckers that aren't subscribers. I know most of you probably that are here are, but um, for those of you that are not, I turned off commenting, unless you're a subscriber, so you're going to have to hit that subscribe button real quick. But uh but Hey, we're trying to hit that 100,000 subscriber mark here, people. We're at like 93,000, I think. So anything we can do to up that subscriber count. Absolutely. Uh, everybody sounds like it's checking in loud and clear. It says checking in from Pennsylvania. Dark whiskey. Uh, Metro Michigan. It's not that dark. Garrison Brothers. This is a fun Texas one. It's a it's supposed to be a weeded. Born and bred in High, Texas. The, uh, I believe a more wheat-based Garrison Brothers distillery. Oh, ooh, ooh. There's yeah. a Marabit Australia checking in. That is awesome. I mean, the rest of you are awesome too, but it's it's really cool when you hear people checking in from all over the world. Peachtree City, Georgia, with your puppy. Awesome. South Carolina. Hello again from Vegas. That's awesome. Alabama, Alaska, the Bay Area, Perry Sound, Ontario. Whoop, whoop. Aw, thank you. I just did the mom chop today, you know? I was like having too much work with too much hair with two children. So I appreciate you saying it looks cute. Hey, Jill. Thank you guys for dropping off Rosie today. Sorry I missed you. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh. That sucker breed. Northwest Wisconsin, British Columbia, Canada, <laughs> New Mexico, New Mexico, Arizona. Oh, you're the same person. Just say New Mexico twice. Awesome. Um, cool, cool. I made it from a Charlie made it, says here. Hey, Charles. Uh, hi, Texas is near my uh, dear lease. So we got Texas, southern Minnesota. Central Mexico. Ontario, Ontario again. Richmond, Virginia. Hi from South Dakota. Like Kat's new haircut. Boom. Dark whiskey is my GSP. I oh, like that's it. cool. I like it a lot. Hi from Minnesota. Love the new hair. Everybody loves your hair as much as I do. Hey, you got your haircut too, but nobody's mentioning it, so... It looks good, doesn't it? Right? Mm-hmm. Just buzzed. Uh-huh. 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 
Well, thank you all for checking in. And again, like Ethan mentioned, we turned on the subscriber only commenting mode. So if you want to say something to us, check in or ask a question, definitely um, hit that subscribe button so that you can get involved. And then just letting you know, this is again the same kind of format that we've been doing in the past. A little bit of housekeeping. We're going to try and keep it a little bit shorter this week and then um, move right into our topic, which is e-collars, training tool or abuse. And then we're going to get on to answering some questions. What is that? It's a leather strap they rolled into that to peel the wax on. It's actually a leather. Leather. That's really cool. Yeah, from kind Texas, of a little, everything uh, else. Little personal flair. And then um, we'll always make time for Ethan's brutally honest comments. Middle Earth. Come on now, folks. <laughs> hey, that's kind of cool. That's funny. Um, on a serious note, we want to do, uh, for those of you still just turning in, it's the the Garrison Brothers bourbon this evening. This was a gift. Um I need uh, sticky notes because I don't I told remember. him he needs to start labeling them. With I don't remember. Like like masking tape even with the name. Yep, it was, it was from somebody in Texas. I'll probably think of it before we get done. Mm, what hair, Ethan? Come on now, folks. Will, will you open mine so I don't break a nail? She said it. These are, uh, do you say what these are? I didn't, no. Mm-mm. These, my brother actually introduced me to, and I'm now Came addicted. Came Jack, folks. Yeah, these are the margaritas. They have a multi-pack, which has Palomas, uh, Mojitos, and Mules, as well as the margaritas. In case and you didn't know, delicious. a Paloma is With a grapefruit. grapefruit. Yeah, basically a grapefruit. It's really good. It's, that's my favorite out of the bunch. I like grapefruit a lot. Okay, so a couple things I want to say right off the bat. Uh, sponsors, thank you very much, patrons. They're the biggest folks that help represent, help support, help keep this whole train rolling. Um, it's everything you guys do that helps provide the equipment and all of the stuff that- That's from us, Michaela. Ah, <laughs> yes, we had a conversation See, thank today. You for, thank, thank you for you tuning much. in. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning up. in and reminding me. With Walker. Walker, we had a conversation about today. He's doing really well in everything except for one small thing that we're working on. So, um, it's good. I like it. But our sponsor that we talk about all the time, because they're the thing that makes this possible, is our patrons. And we talked about last week Uh something that we want to do to give back to our patrons and make them even... Um, have a little more extra special opportunity to interact with us is doing a Google Hangout with our patrons on Patreon only for them. And we asked uh, our patrons kind of what would work best for them because we want the most people to be able to be able to participate. And the consensus was pretty overwhelmingly that Thursday nights, Thursday evenings would be the best day to do the Google Hangout. So we are going to start doing that once a month starting July 1st. Yes. And we're going to have to do it at 7.30 Central Time uh, just because that is honestly what works best for our schedule with uh, little Aiden man needing to go to bed and not always having help from grandma. And um, Kate has kind of gotten into a routine of he eats something and then naps 
slash sleeps really well until he needs to eat again around 10 and then we can get him fed and then go to bed. So 7.30 Central Standard Time. It's a good time. Thursday, July 1st. So if you're not a patron and would like an opportunity to interact with us, Mm -hmm. head on over to Patreon. Make sure you sign up by July 1st because that's when we're going to start this first uh, Google Hangout. Absolutely. And then uh, somebody just mentioned it here. This is a kind of fun thing. If you didn't know, it is called, I think, Upland Nation Podcast. Please forgive me. Uh, Scott Linden, who I'm guessing is not listening to this right now, but um, he sent it to me today. And you're still scrolling through your emails because that's how crazy your emails are. He sent it to me today. Where's it at? Could you, could you just, like, search it? Well, I figured it would be less scrolling than that. Upland. Somebody else is going to tell us before I even. Come on, Charles. Pipe in and tell us what the name of it is. What is it called? <laughs> maybe, he'll, maybe he'll remind it's you. This Because um, I, I emailed him back, and then I <laughs> deleted the email. Clearing that stuff out. Anyway, so while Ethan looks for that. Here it is. Got it. Okay. You are live on the Upland Nation podcast. You should definitely check it out. Uh, Scott does a really good job. He's a very, it's a little different than us. It's a very prim, proper. uh, Hey, what are you saying about us? I'm saying we're helter skelter and we're just here for the the hell of it. Okay. We're here for the party. Yeah. Um, so it was a very, Upland Nation is correct. All right. So it's a very um, good, focused, direct. He starts off with his intro and he talks about his social media and different stuff. And then he goes in and I had to try and give him a hard time right off the bat. And I don't think he 100% got it. So you've got that to look forward to. And then um, he said, you can find it anywhere pod can be caught as well as something else. He said it's live on their website, which is uh, uplandnation.com. Google it. Yep, uplandnation.com, Apple, iHeartRadio, all of the things that you can catch your pods on. So we talked about hunting and we talked about training and crammed it into a 45-minute conversation. So it is a good, it was a good conversation. Check it out. Definitely give him a, a hit up on the, on the social platforms. You know, I appreciate getting contacts from folks to do interviews and whatever. And we don't pull very many people in that way. It's uh, more us for this, but it's uh, maybe something we'll, we'll visit in the future, especially if we can pull in, you know, somebody that has a you know, like uh, there's a gentleman I would really like to do a specific topic some evening for um, for this for y'all about ACL or CCL tears and other specific sporting inju- breed sport- injuries. Yeah, sporting breed injuries. And I have just the gentleman that I should I, I want to reach out to about that. So those would be where we can pull in some folks over the phone, something fun to add a little more depth to our. Yeah, a little, little more depth on on the bench there. So yeah, and then um, Joseph asked, "All of Patreon or just certain tiers for the Google Hangout? It'll be open to all patrons." So yeah, um, all patrons, any yep. tier doesn't matter. Jump in there, and 
It is a Google Hangout. If you're not familiar, you can download an app or you can do it on your computer. If you have a Google account, you're automatically set up. All you do is log in, Google Hangouts, and we'll end up posting a link. You click the link, you're there. It's going to be video chat, so you know, do your hair and makeup and stuff, or don't. It's up to you. And then it'll be a full screen. If you're on your computer, you can see everybody at one time. That's and then cool. it kind of pops up to- Who's talking? Oh, <laughs> it blurry. Pops, yeah, it pops up to blurry. And then it talks about who's talking, um, shows who's talking, and kind of jumps back and forth with that. So it's a, it's a cool thing. It'll be, again- it's, The first it's more, one will be a little helter-skelter yeah, while we're we figuring just, out, we but it's going to be awesome. Play and it's it going to be fun to interact with all you all. Heck yeah, we get to see your faces and not you just stare at ours, so- um, I think Looking that's forward what we got. To it. What else we got here? Uh, we're going to just mention again, we talked about it last week and I wanted to throw it out again. We have our seminars for the summer planned out. Uh, we have three of them scheduled for now. Um, and that's probably all we're going to be able to squeeze in this year with, um, it being halfway through the year already. And those will be up and available to start signing up for by the end of the week. Yes. First one is going to be July 24th and 25th. It's going to be a hot one. So we're doing an indoor trained retrieve seminar in the air conditioning. So um, if you are thinking about starting this process with your dog, already started the process with your dog, or just want to come watch Ethan do his thing and learn from him how we do our process, um, sign up for that. Then our next one will be August 21st and 22nd, and that's going to be general training information. It should hopefully be cooler out by then, and we're going to be getting out in the field, um, and Ethan and I will both be involved with that one as well so that we can split up, divide and conquer if need be, uh, so that we can help work through all of the different questions that you guys have, things that you need to work on specifically. And then the last one of the year, because we're going to be rolling right into hunting season after this, and we definitely don't want to interfere with anybody's hunting season plans, will be September 18th and 19th. And that one is again going to be fairly generalized, but also a little more hunting season geared. So those will be up on the website, like I said, by the end of the week. And you guys can, if you're interested, sign up and uh, let us know if you have any other questions. I just I just pulled up here on the old Instagram live just because everybody there wanted to see your cute haircut. Just give it a little hair flip there. Flip, flip. Ooh, yeah. All right. So um, if you guys want to uh, join us here on Yawa Night, all you got to do is bop over to YouTube. It'll be there. If you go to our store, you can actually just swipe up. Perfect. So last but not least, uh, one of the things that we like to offer to people, especially our loyal followers like you, is when we have used training equipment available, it's typically um, so good. Typically, something that gets scooped up really quickly, but there is a caveat to this time. How many did you, did you count? How many we have? I didn't. I think there's four. We have four 1820 sets. Yes, four. Four DT Systems H20 1820 e-collar sets, but they are three dog units and they will be sold as three dog units. They're not going to be divided up because um, then we got a bunch of used add-ons that just don't really go anywhere. So if you're looking for a three dog unit or you're just going to get two units out of it because it's going to be a heck of a good deal and you can just set the third one on a shelf for a rainy day, um, 
let us know, hit us up and we will get you pricing and we will get you, um, get your information on getting them sent out. So those will also be, if they're It'll not be a generic sp- picture, it's just going to be like used 1820. Yeah. And, um, if they're not sold ASAP, they will end up making it up onto the standing stone supply.com store. So last that's, that's all the housekeeping stuff. That's it. So I tried to make it quick and it still took 15 minutes. Sorry yeah. guys. Well, that's us. So, uh, moving into today's topic, that is e-callers, right? I mean, I would say that most of you that are here have watched a lot of our videos, seeing how we use them, probably utilize them yourself by this point, or maybe still are in that realm of consideration. Unsure. Yeah, uh, unsure. I would say, um, as far as stepping right into it, I would. S- a lot of people have unsureties just because they don't. They don't know. They might right? not have a full understanding or they might have misinformation about e-callers. I literally asked the question on our Instagram story. Yep. And I asked what you thought. Oh, I'm trying to make that. I don't know. There we go. Is it a training close, tool kinda. or abuse? Too close? No, you're, you're good. I, Let me just break your wrist a little more to turn it a little. Yeah. Okay. My Break the wrist and walk away. Anyway, 98% of you all thought that it was a training tool and only 2% thought it was abuse. So at least our following is pretty on board with it being utilized as a training tool. Um, But there is, like I said, a lot of people out there that think otherwise. And so we want to talk about that today. Sure they do. So um, first and foremost, we want to start into the fact of explaining some of the basics of training, um, kind of the quadrants of training, how it works, and then which portions the e-collar fits into. Kat's an expert on this. He loves it when I talk about operant conditioning. Um, and operant conditioning is... It makes me feel tingly inside. I think that's the bourbon. <laughs> Maybe. But um, operant conditioning, I went to school to be actually a teacher, Did you guys know that? Probably not. Um, So I went to school to be a high school science teacher. And And she met high school students and ran for her life. (laughs) Basically, yes, I did. I was like, was I really that horrible as a high school student? Yeah, probably. And I did run for my life and decided to do something else like train dogs. Um, But utilizing operant conditioning happens in all avenues of education. But We talk about the four quadrants of operant conditioning, and we actually have a video on the four quadrants of operant conditioning. So if you want a recap of this or a little more of a deep dive, um, Ethan's going to link it in there. But there's positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, and negative punishment. Now, all those positive and negatives sometimes make people think, well, positive means good and negative means bad. So those negative things are definitely bad. Well, no, they're not. We want to think of positive and negative more of as an equation where positive is adding something to the situation. Negative is taking something away from the situation. Now, reinforcement-based training, the positive and the negative is to actually strengthen behaviors. Was it this one, four things you need to know about dog training? Yep. Good, good. And then the punishment-based training is to weaken a behavior. So both the positive and the negative punishment is to weaken a behavior. So a few examples and a few um, things for you to have a better understanding is, like I said, 
the reinforcement-based training is to strengthen behaviors positively would be by adding something like a treat or a retrieve or some form of reward to the situation where we're teaching the puppy how to go on a dog bed or we're teaching how to potty train our toddler so he gets an M&M when he goes to the bathroom. So those are adding a reward to the situation and we're hoping that giving those rewards is going to strengthen that behavior where they're going to offer those behaviors more consistently. Now, negative reinforcement is utilizing something to be taken away from the situation. So we utilize e-collars for negative reinforcement training a lot of times. So the puppy or whatever feels the e-collar vibrating as we ask them to get back on their dog bed. Well, as soon as they get on their dog bed, the vibration of the e-collar shuts off. So that vibration is going away when they comply it won't what? let me see. I'm logged into my other account. I'm sorry to distract. It just, that's what I was trying to see. Is it, did it show the link? No, it won't let me not being standing stone kennels. Cause I, I have another YouTube channel guy with the pink gun and I commented from there. It does not allow me to. Oh. So I'll they're turning the e-collar off by getting on the dog bed. Again, strengthening, be, strengthening the behavior we're looking for and building consistency with going on their dog bed. The same with us, um, you know, learning to get up out of bed in the morning. We set an alarm and we turn the alarm off and take away that mild annoyance, that to get us up out of bed and to get us to work on time. So we can utilize that negative reinforcement, not just with dog training, but with all aspects of life. Now, when we're talking about positive punishment and negative punishment, again, we're either adding something to weaken a behavior. So the dog gets off the dog bed they get a nick to get back on the dog bed. It's a more advanced level of training and learning and understanding. So it's not the way that we start conditioning, staying on a dog bed behavior, um, as well as um, you can think of things like positive punishment in, hey, your child does something that they're not supposed to and they get a spanking. I don't know. The spankings are probably something that are frowned upon, but Aiden has had his fair share of little swats on the butt. Brutally um, honest comment. We spank our child when he deserves it. It's yes. not a, it's not abuse. Take it, take it how you will. <laughs> it's not abuse. Um, and then there is the last quadrant of operant conditioning, which is utilized much less frequently in dog training because it takes a more mature, um, level of understanding. And that is, like I said, the negative punishment. That's where you take something away to weaken a behavior. So for example, one of the places that we can can utilize um, negative punishment in dog training is denials in retrieves. So a dog is supposed to be steady to make a retrieve. They try and break to make their retrieve early. You stop them and then you go take away that retrieve and they don't get the reward that they wanted, which is that retrieve. We utilize that a lot of times um, for um, children as well in a sense of Grounding them, you know, taking away privileges. Taking like away you privileges, broke absolutely. curfew, so you don't get the car anymore. You know, we're taking something away because they made a mistake. So those are the operant conditioning quadrants that we were talking about and how we can utilize the e-collar. And a couple of those is through the negative reinforcement and the positive punishment avenues. Go take it from there. I thought I would take a breath and allow Ethan to. No, it was very good. In there. No, it was very good. <laughs> Thanks, son. 
Okay, so now that we have a general understanding of how training works and the two quadrants that we're going to add into them, let's talk about how we specifically utilize those in those time frames and why, okay? In the beginning stages, like Kat mentioned, we use positive reinforcement. We teach a behavior. We do not teach with the e-collar, okay? Now that we know a behavior is understood and we like to generalize that behavior by moving through multiple different cases, multiple different locations. And if you are a patron sending videos and you send me this training video of your puppy doing awesome in your kitchen or living room area or wherever you're training, the first thing I'm going to say to you is, wow, that looks great. Move it to someplace else now, then take it to your garage, then take it outside into your backyard and see that you can get that same level of focus during that specific time. I'm not saying because they do well in a training session, they're going to do perfect all the time. In that specific training situational Where they're setting, in the mental space that, hey, we're training It's training now. time. Yep. Uh, they should be able to do well. And if they show a good understanding of those things, then we're typically ready for collar conditioning. Now, for every dog, that's going to be different. Most of the time, we begin collar conditioning somewhere around 12 to 16 weeks, depending on the dog. We are probably behind that a semigeny with... Shock? Not much though, because um, we actually didn't really start on tricks until a little bit later as well, because she was so cooperative and so easygoing. And then oh. puppy shock, she just turned twelve weeks old. Just gave her last vaccination. Week. Yeah, yeah. So she's week. thirteen weeks old today. So we're not really that far behind the eight ball. She is a little more of a bold, confident little puppy. Yeah, but she's also super cooperative though too. She's not ready for those things, but she's showing a really good understanding yeah. in different areas. So for example, we primarily train in the garage or in the kitchen, in the house, in those general areas, but we've done training sessions outside. In the kennel. We've also incorporated Aiden into training sessions, which usually it's like, all right, I'm almost done. Let's see if we can get a handful of reps where he helps feed rewards and you're kind of building all of these things and incorporating. It's not And it's like, helping her establish a level of respect for him, which is really important. Yes. That's the which most important part of that training in the beginning. Session. Yeah, I, it's I, I my hats off to y'all because I will say honestly, I probably underplayed more than I should have the struggles that everyone had with uh, a Until little puppy. Until we experienced it for ourselves. And a two to three-year-old range kid running around screeching, wanting the puppy to chase them, okay? It's difficult. It's a real thing. And it's a thing that we work through on a regular basis, but it can be worked through. And it involves teaching him and teaching him. But I digress. We work through all of these different things. And once we have a true understanding of the behavior, and we know if we say here, or sit, or kennel, or whatever, the puppy's going to do those things in that controlled environment. Not 100% of the time, but in that controlled environment. You can ask for a cue. They're differentiating between cues. You're ready for collar conditioning. We start with vibrate conditioning. You do not need a time period where the dog wears and gets used to the collar or any of those things. It's not necessary. It's not helpful. It doesn't prevent collar smartness. It doesn't do anything, really. Slap the collar on them, get going. Now, the reason for that is, um, I, here we go, puppy vomiting and also best food for puppies and health. If your puppy's vomiting, call a veterinarian, okay? I don't know what's going on, but typically vomiting is not normal, so please call your vet and ask those questions. That's going to be a, a really good place to start with that, but... You're going to be ready for collar conditioning. Vibrate, 
and we're going to utilize vibrate first timing is very important here. Like timing is important at everything, but this is what separates the two. Okay. Turn the collar on, on vibrate. Mild annoyance is here. Dog complies with the task, which could take some focus. Like this should pull their focus. You turn that vibrate on the puppy's going to be like, Oh, what, what was that? What, what is that? Somewhere from that kind of response to completely ignoring it to having freaking, a little bit of an adverse reaction meltdown, even to that extent. I mean, the adverse reaction to a total meltdown, right? Okay. So then we complete the task. Collar shuts off. You learn to turn off the mild annoyance by complying with something that you already know. The bigger the distraction or more averse that vibrate is, the more powerful it's going to be. I've heard a lot of dog trainers. I listen to other dog training podcasts and they're, they're tough. I mean, it's, um, sometimes not all podcasts are good. Ours can be real, a little rambly. So thank you all for putting up for us. But when you get into those rambly, I'm like, uh, this specifically was titled something. I want to hear those things, but I listen to the podcast and they're talking about, how vibrate can be more aversive than stimulation, which could be the case. But if it's more aversive than stimulation with a specific dog, I'm going to say, let's work through that and then utilize that because then it means that we don't have to go beyond that most likely in a majority of situations. Now, then you will have a dog and a number of short reps, maybe one to two sessions that you hit that button it vibrates like your cell phone. You're not hurting anybody or anything at this point at all. Nothing. They shut the collar off by complying and then they'll start to incorporate that as part of the cue. And then you bring back the situation of differentiation. Can you respond to vibrate turns on? Are you listening to me? I said, kennel, go to the dog bed. Are you listening to me? I said, here, don't just guess. Um, be able to differentiate between the two. But when you're teaching them, you want to teach each individually. So vibrate comes on, you're teaching kennel first or you're teaching recall first. Now, the big difference for us and people often ask, which do I teach first? Why do you do it different when I watch your playlist? You don't always do the exact same thing every single time. Well, it's because no dogs are created equal and there isn't one set path to travel that works for them. So... If you have a dog that is overly cooperative, you are struggling to get them to go out and do their thing, you know, be free. Um, That typically falls into specific breeds that are going to be more of your retrieving, flushing, more cooperative dog breeds. Um, Teach them to go away first with the collar. We would utilize place training is the first thing that we collar conditioning. If you watch our lab training series, the first thing that I taught them is to go to a dog bed with the e-collar. Now, then if you look at our short hairs, most of them bred to be more independent. The first thing that we're trying to teach them is, hey, come back. I'm tired of chasing you around because we don't have a fence in on it. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. We let dogs out. Well, they run over to the birds or they run over to the whatever. So we're trying to teach them to, hey, come back over here when I call you because I'm tired of chasing you down. It's the long and short of it. So, um, but... That's the negative reinforcement aspect of things. Your vibrate turns on and it shuts off when they comply. Now, we've developed a good behavior. It is called collar conditioning because it takes conditioning. It is not a 
It happens in a session. It's not, it happens in one week. It takes time. Every dog's going to be a little bit different, but you need to condition. You need to condition um, the behavior. Sorry, I got to say, I, I read the, I try and keep up with the comments as we're going to, and sometimes one catches my eye and is a distraction. We didn't mention it this time. Um, the super chats are coming through, and I wanted to mention um, we will be getting to those. We changed format just a little bit, and we do give 100% priority to the super chats when we move into the Q&A portion, but we've gone to talking about a specific topic each week. We do a few announcements, a topic, and then we answer questions for the remaining time that we have. So yes, Cole, uh, we will get to yours first as we come into that. Um, and again, priority for questions goes to super chats till we run out of time. So then once we have that collar conditioning aspect of things done, we have a dog that's consistent in all of these different things. Then people are like, when can I stop using the collar, right? That's the first thing that pops into everybody's mind. Do I have to wear the collar forever? All the time, forever, forever and always, whatever, right? That's the question. Positive punishment. That's where we build the understanding of enough consistency outside of the use of the collar. Because what we're doing in the positive punishment category is we ask for the behavior that they've already proven that they know how to do, that they've shown through conditioning that they can do consistently. Through collar conditioning, yeah. Yep, collar conditioning they can do consistently. Now we move into positive punishment category, and that is we ask for the behavior. No collar involved yet. He's not happening. He's not happy. Not having it. Okay, so we ask for the behavior, and if they don't respond the first time, here comes the collar. And then it teaches dogs to avoid the collar completely by complying the first time that you ask. Does that make sense, folks? If it doesn't, throw down there in a comment. I want to know so that I can explain it a little better or differently or answer that specifically. But once you have a dog that understands how to avoid the collar... They are pretty much going to respond most of the time. Now, breeds are going to change that a little bit. If you are working with that more cooperative breed, it's going to take less. And even some of the more cooperative breeds in your versatile lines, where versatile dogs are typically more independent-based dogs, you're going to see that the independent dogs are going to take some refresher courses more often. They're going to challenge things a little more often. The more cooperative dogs, once they kind of get it, they're going to be on track with that. And it's a good insurance policy to have it on anytime you're in an uncontrolled environment. But still, nonetheless, it isn't necessary unless they don't respond the first time you're asking. So that's the positive punishment. We're adding e-collar in the form of punishment when they don't do things the first time that we ask. That teaches that consistency aspect of things. So those are the two big ways that they're used. What else do we have here? Now that I'm riding solo, I've got to look at the notes. Uh, That'd be the timing. And then, so the next thing that we can talk about specifically is e-callers themselves having a bad name. And this is going to fall hand in hand with my brutally honest comment of the evening. But I would say that the average person outside of the bird dog world, bird dog people have gotten or gun dog people or hunting dog people or adventure dog people. Majority of the folks listening, they say they can see the value in the e-collar. They've worked with enough trainers or the trainers in that environment use e-collar. So it becomes more of a, okay, I get it now. 
Well, outside of that, if you fall into that pet category um, or companion dog category, there's a lot of people that are still like, ooh, collars, bad. This is horrible. I could never do this to my dog. What do you mean do this to your dog? Do you have a cell phone? Does it vibrate in your pocket? How could you dare do that to you? You know, that's, I mean, some of the stuff that happens there. And then you fall into that category. Oh, look at that cute baby. I'm going to hold him for a second so I can put my headphones on. I'm crowded in here. Okay. All right, that's fine. That's that's good, right? Yep. You seeing yourself there? You're just seeing mama. He's like, I see the milk bar. (laughs) So. When we look at those misconceptions, they're derived around people not understanding. And the other side of it is it's a training tool. And there are a lot of training tools that have a bad name. And I will be 100% honest with you. Every single training tool out there, a dog leash could be used improperly. And that could be detrimental to dog training or it could injure a dog. Okay. Yeah, it can be construed as abuse. A stakeout, leaving, and like the way that they're used. If you put a dog on a stakeout and literally leave them out on a stakeout in the sun without water all the time, yeah, that's totally abuse. But utilizing a stakeout in a situation where dogs can watch training sessions, it gives a safe place for them to be when you're traveling on the road so they can get aired out and go to the bathroom. That's not abuse. But anything that is used improperly can be construed as abuse. 100%. Even things like, uh, so we don't use prong collars very often, but prong collars got a really horrible name. And if you see, there's like pictures out there where there's prong marks in dogs' necks and whatever else, right? So that's because the prong collar A was too tight to begin with and B left on for an extended period of time and never taken off. And that caused sores, you know, just contact sores, not the Prong collar itself caused those sores because somebody was pulling on it or something like that. Prong collars require very little pressure. Um, They are a good option if, you know, we utilize our easy lead based on how that works, but all of them have their place. And the other side of it is just a slip lead or a choke chain or any of those things. They're all tools used properly. They work well used improperly. They are abusive or could be abusive. So it's, it's one of those things that it comes down to, Um, e-collars are an improvement from a technological standpoint. Okay. And there are some countries that e-collars aren't allowed to be utilized in dog training. And unfortunately that would be very difficult. I mean, like we've talked about, they are an improvement on, um, training techniques and used properly. They allow you to have 100% perfect timing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. The, The number one thing. No, I just to hammer this one home is all I'm saying. Yeah. The number of the thing that we talk about that's important as far as, I'm just a little too close to the table. The number one thing that we talk about, and you all have heard us say it multiple times, the most important thing in dog training is what? Timing, right? Yes. So if you have a essentially one to three mile, depending on exact units that you have, leash on your dog or connection to your dog. A way to communicate with your dog. Yes. You have the ability to have timing be perfect. At a distance, for sure. I mean, because otherwise, if you're not utilizing an e-collar and you still have to make a correction and your dog is 100 yards away, how do you make that correction timely? Well, back in the day, 
they would switch shotgun shells real quick and then shoot the dog with rat shot or something or salt loads, something like that to say, hey, dog, get back here. Yeah. You've run too far. <laughs> now, that's that a real thing. That would be what I would consider abuse. <laughs> but the, the aspect of collars have come a long way. Some of the beginning units you had hot and hotter. Right. This this is the start of the bad name that the the e collars have, and you actually had to like change out a fuse essentially in the back to change levels. It was like, all right, I'm gonna put you on from stun to yes, kill. We're gonna switch this from stun to kill, basically. So, um, but today's day and age, the, some of the beginning levels, he says, no, 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 no. Hooah. Just come up here. You'll be happy right here. Mm, there's that too, oh, yeah. in queso. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's talking. <laughs> Squeak, squeaker, squeak, squeaking. You can hear him in the microphone. Um, sorry, guys. He's a big distraction. Grandma's on vacation. Ah. So we're, we're soloing it on Wednesday night, Yawa. But, um, with the training tools getting a bad name. So they've been used either pretty harshly in the past um, or utilized improperly. And even like layman terms and, you know, the general general public, they will, um, when they're talking to us and they don't have a full understanding of utilizing an e-call, they're like, yeah, I'm, I just need an e-call to shock my dog and to light him up and, um, you know, punish them when they're making a mistake or light them up so they don't counter surf anymore. And we're like, well, that wouldn't be the way that we would recommend using an e-collar. And we try and educate people. That's what we're doing tonight. That's what we do through our channel. We try and educate people to understand how these training tools when used properly can be very, very valuable because it allows you to have that perfect timing at a distance. Um, it also allows you to have that safety and way to recall your dog out of a potentially dangerous situation. I don't know if you talked about that when I was in the other room, but you know, your dog's headed for a road, chasing a bird, chasing a rabbit, just being a dog and you need to turn them around quickly and consistently. And they're wearing that e-collar. You have a way to do that. If you don't, and you're relying on them wanting to come back to you when they hear your whistle and think that, oh, well, they'll come back because I've really hammered this recall with positive reinforcement. Well, positive reinforcement is only going to work when the dog wants to work for that reward, whatever it may be, whether it's a treat or a retrieve or attention and affection. Well, if they're working for a bird that they're chasing to cross the road, in their mind, that's more important than any treat that you've got in your pocket. And to be fair in the situation, um, to be fair in the situation, it's one of those things that we, oh, you know, we talk about these dogs specifically because of the fact that um, the dogs that we work with are versatile dogs and hunting dogs on average. But if you get into some pet breeds or you get into some other breeds, I, I, it's for me, it's I'm going to make this giant generalization and I don't mean to do it on purpose, but I'm going to make it and be... Don't be offended, all right? So, um, collies or um, some combination of healers, collies, uh, what are... Those hurt, most herding dogs. Most herding dogs are super smart, super attentive, 
super sensitive, if you will, in the form of correction and handling, require very little. They're very willing to work and please and uh, are essentially designed to work with you hand in hand. Now, there, there are some that are tougher than others from a cattle standpoint and others that whatever, they're super smart. And if you, the first thing that I see when you get those like positive only cookie pushers, whatever you want to call them, that go through brutally honest uh, comments. Uh, here they yeah, come. <laughs> we're, we're getting closer. Um, but you get into that category, right? And you're dealing with nine out of every 10 times. One of those dogs are like, you don't need all of those things or you don't need e-collars. You don't need anything else other than, you know, a quality. I've done this with my blah, dog blah, blah, before. Blah. Okay. Your dog singular, right? And you fall into that category of that specific breed and let's face it. Okay. If we were to all just sort through and find the perfect dog to be a demo dog, we would all not maybe need all of the things, but that's not the the long and short of it. I mean, it's like handpicking from humans. You're going to be the next professional athlete. Well, that's because you're a professional athlete, right? You can't handpick me out and then just say, and we're just talking about different genetics and all things like the dogs that we're breeding, we breed for a level of independence so that they can go out, hunt independently, find birds for us. Because if they were just 100% focused on us the entire time, they're not going to make great hunting dogs. They're not going to get out and search a field. They're not going to find birds for us. We need a little bit of that independence with cooperation, but they need to be handleable at a distance. Perfect. So we've covered that about bad names and it being a training mm-hmm. tool and used improperly and all of the things. And now it comes down to um, <laughs> cookie pushers. Yeah, that's there's there's words out there which they have words for us too. Let's say that. But um, it comes down to Ethan's uh, brutally honest comment of the evening, which comes down and he to wouldn't the fact- tell me what it was because he didn't want me to. Steal it this time. Yep. So we're going to need a little, uh, yep. All right. When it comes down to it, people start utilizing e-collars and they have, and their dog has an adverse reaction. And I'm going to tell you nine out of every 10, 99.9 out of every 10 are due to the fact that you as owners have not done the proper job developing mentally that dog dog that has a lack of mental fortitude struggles with anything new, anything at all. And when you have something new, especially the e-collar, they have an adverse reaction and we are utilizing reinforcement-based training. They do something, whatever it is, hide, go take off, run away, whatever, you know, and then you make the mistake of, oh, come on now. I stopped patting him on the butt. Sorry, guys. Pats, here we go. It's like so rubbing you, your tummy and patting your head at the same time, except it's I talk answering, with my hands. Yeah, answering the question and patting the baby's butt at the same time. So you then make the mistake, and this is this is all from a, a true lack of understanding or know-how or confidence. confidence just because right. you don't want to make a mistake or you don't want to do it wrong, and your dog is also I don't want to say manipulative. But they've learned sometimes that, hey, if I throw a big enough fit, I've gotten out of the things that I don't want to do in the past. So this is a way that they express themselves as throwing a fit. Yes. So it's, but it comes down to improper use again, which is what we talked about before. And that in itself becomes the problem. Okay. Trade. 
Yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So that in in itself becomes the problem. You make the mistake. This is the the honesty behind it. You made the mistake, okay? And when you made that mistake, utilizing negative reinforcement training, the training gets exponentially, the situation gets exponentially worse because it's it's being conditioned. If you did one rep correctly, and that's why when you watch our training videos, even in the ones that we've shown, we have shown, who was it? Somebody would put a check cord on it, hey. one of our dogs. No, no, oh, no, 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 tricks. no. Tricks, okay, because I thought maybe she may have an adverse reaction. She had a little bit. She tried to, whoo, and then the one good rep got exponentially better, the next better and better and better. And we don't make the stakes because of the fact that we've been there, done that, know the things. And when you do it correctly, your dog only improves from a mental standpoint and a training standpoint and an ability to handle things. So um, I had one other thing to say and I totally forgot. Okay, the last thing that I'm gonna say is I had a conversation with a gentleman the other day and he specifically said, to me that it was his choice and he didn't want to use e-callers and whatever because he he called and said, I've got an easy lead and I love it and the dog's doing well, but I'm in the stage where still up over their muzzle all the time. How do I move past this? I said, collar conditioning. Collar conditioning becomes the next step. You slip to the slip lead portion, you start collar conditioning, and then all of a sudden you've got a dog that walks completely off leash. And he said, okay, well, it's my choice and I've decided that we don't want to collar condition. I said, why? And he said, oh, it's just my choice. I said, well, it can be your choice, but it would be the equivalent of saying, I only want to stick with a house phone because that's my choice. How many people are going to take the, the lack of the advantage, the technological advantage of having a cell phone? How many people do you know today that only have a house phone? There are not very many out there. There may be a few and it is their choice, but there are not very many out there. I want to use a carrier pigeon. Yes. so Messenger pigeon, whatever. Cat's taking a, a complete step back into the Stone Age, and she's going to forego a cell phone, and she's going to skip the home phone line, and she's just going to go back to sending pigeons back and forth to people, okay? Your guys' patron messages and questions are going to take a long time to get answered. <laughs> exactly. And and that's the that's this day's and age, all right? We've got an e-collar. It's a technological advancement, and it gives you the ability to be very consistent and very timely in corrections when handling your dog. Timing and consistency make everything better. So that's it. That's all I've got. That's all we've got for to this evening. We're going to move into answering some questions. We're going to roll through uh, these. Gonna Cat's going to read them. I'm going to try. Well, I was going to say, I was going to see if he needs a bottle or something or something because he's not super happy. All right. So <laughs> go ahead into the first question. Yep. Zooming back up to the top, to the top, to the top. <laughs> bottle. I don't know about that. I'm just going to bop him on the back. <laughs> okay. Cole Frimmel. What should I do with my GS or with my pup? She is 11 weeks and basically has all the sit, place, and hear commands. Should I start collar conditioning from Manhattan, Kansas? Um, 11 weeks old is typically a little younger um, than we recommend starting collar conditioning. Ethan said, you know, 12 to 16 weeks old. And... <clears throat> 
some puppies are an exception to that rule. Like I said, it's one of those things that, um, you know, it's a generalization of 12 to 16 weeks old. First, we would recommend generalizing that training, making sure, like Ethan had mentioned at the beginning, that um, the sit and the place and the recall all can happen in different locations, you know, not just in your generic kitchen training area, but outside, in the garage, in the backyard. And then from there, you would want to pick one behavior, whether that's recall or maybe place training first, to recommend starting with, and so that the we don't add any extra confusion to the situation um, because we don't want to try and teach multiple things with the caller at once. We want to condition one behavior first until that that's really, really solid. Um, but some of the other things, like people get really hung up and um, with, well, I want to work with my puppy every day and I've done this, this, and this. Now what? What's the next step? And I was actually having a live chat with a patron and we were talking about this and their puppy is doing phenomenal. She is very focused, very food motivated. She is doing all of the behaviors that they've been working on very consistently. They're even starting to work on things like swinging into a heel already. And this puppy is 11 weeks old, kind of similar age as yours. And I said, okay, but they're struggling with a little bit of puppy biting, which is pretty minimal and also nail trims. And I said, okay, well, show me, show me your nail trim issue. And really it's pretty mild, but I can see what they're talking about is she gets a little worked up, a little, you know, wiggly and a little nibbly. And I said, okay, instead of focusing so much on, I got to teach this next behavior and this next behavior and this next behavior, why don't we work on some of the things that get overlooked and make sure that we're still continuing to develop a well-rounded tolerant puppy that's not going to be a pain in the butt when she's older and bigger and harder to handle um, when it comes to tailgate checks and vet appointments and continuing those nail trims. So instead of putting all this time into all of these extra behaviors and what's next, what's next, what's next, let's really make sure that we're developing some of those other behaviors like calming down in a position on their back to have their nails trimmed or their ears cleaned or just relax the uh, you will love me game. I talked to uh, them about that as well. We play that game with our puppies. You know, you get a little puppy that's super wiggly and doesn't really want to settle down and it's like, no, this is, we've done all the other things. Now it's time to just hang out, settle down, lay down on our do- on the couch with us and relax. We're going to watch a movie or something. And you hold them until they relax and they give in. And that might not be five minutes. That might not be 10 minutes. That might be 30 minutes, right, babe? Yeah, it's usually like upwards of an hour before they truly just give in and fall asleep. Yeah, and every puppy's different. Keep that in mind. Some of our puppies are a little more strong-willed than others. Some are a little more laid back and easygoing. So, um... You didn't hear that at all, did you? I said, usually it's upwards of, I had my mic turned all the way down. It's usually upwards of like an hour. I heard it, but maybe it wasn't through the headphones. I don't know. An hour-ish or so sometimes. And it, it depends. Every puppy's different. But I would say put some time and effort into that to make sure that, you know, we're not missing some of the aspects of developing our puppies um, that we're just, you know, hammering all the training, but we need to make sure that we're still developing and socializing those puppies too. So good question. I'm scrolling down to the next super chat. Michael Gamaro. And both of you guys are patrons, I'm pretty sure. So we definitely appreciate the super chats from you guys as well. 
Um, just because don't know where I'd be without y'all helping. Well, we definitely appreciate it. And we definitely appreciate your, um, being on Patreon as well. Jorge or George Nar. Sorry if I butchered that. Yo there, this Sunday is my dog's first blood trailing scenario. I'm hunting a collared peccaries. I think you call them Havilland. So, um, pig, wild pig, right? Maybe yes. any good advice? Uh, the, so is the pigs you're planning alive? On, you're planning on shooting the pig and then having an opportunity for blood trailing? I just I would assume. Okay. Um there's a lot of steps that go into this before just putting your dog on a blood trail of a pig. So I would recommend reaching out from a standpoint of how we can begin the blood trailing game. Yeah, that unless you already have done the beginning steps. That's one thing that we don't know here. Have you already introduced blood trailing? Have you already introduced hide? Have you already introduced, you know, um, 24-hour tracks? It's definitely something, especially with a pig at the end of this um, blood trail, uh, just like even a deer at the end of some of these blood trails, sometimes those Animals aren't completely dispatched, um, as well as can be intimidating to dogs. And I don't know how old your dog is as well. You know, is it a puppy still? That could be very intimidating coming up on a big animal like that. So we knew we do need a little more advice and information, um, a little more information to give you more advice, uh, because we're making a lot of assumptions with that little bit of information. So if you want to type some more comments below, we'll look for those from you. Next super chat from Spurs and Fur Outdoors. My friend has a pigeon that died and he froze it. Would you use it for training at all? And if so, how? Thanks for all the great info you provide. Um, So frozen birds can be utilized in training um, in specific ways. Sometimes we get puppies or dogs that have um, a harder mouth, aren't as good at retrieving birds, things like that. And we can utilize frozen birds in a couple of ways. One, if a puppy's like not super interested in retrieving birds, but they're really great at retrieving bumpers, that frozen bird has a little more bumper like shape, or you can clip the wings off of that pigeon and tape them to a bumper to help make a transition to retrieving birds. Um, as well as sometimes dogs are a little hard mouthed on birds, those fresh killed birds, they're pretty tender. They're pretty warm and juicy and fun to chew on, especially if they're very similar to some of their chew toys that they've had, um, those stuffed toys in the past. So having a frozen bird that's, you know, a little harder and firmer, those dogs aren't going to necessarily want to bite into, Um, We utilize frozen birds in our trained retrieve process a lot, but from a like bird introduction or pointing bird standpoint, your frozen bird isn't going to be beneficial in those situations. So um, do you have anything to add to how they could use a frozen bird for training? Okay. Hopefully that helped. Uh, Logan Johnson. Oh, how did, where did that go? Oh, where'd it go? There to go. Ah, found it. Um, what is your opinion on using a GSP from a mainly retrieving standpoint? Uh, ducks, doves, etc. Just love the drive and work ethic of a short hair. Um, so we have brutally honest comment for this one. All right. If you want a retriever, get a retriever. Short hairs are good versatile dogs. 
Or Thunder, yeah. <laughs> no, Short Ears are good, versatile dogs, but ultimately when it comes down to it, they are not the best at solely being retrieving dogs unless you get a special one. So, Especially from like an advanced level of handling. Like if you're trying to do hand signals and... Um, I'm on a oh. something list. It says... You're on my shit list because you turned on, Kelly had mentioned up here that she, her f- cell phone was dead, had to use a work phone, but wasn't a subscriber on her work phone. So couldn't comment until just now. So she's like, you lost a lot of points, buddy. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's why you're on her shit list. Um, but to answer this question a little bit more. Um, so we have had short hairs. Thunder would be an excellent example of a retrieving fool, a retrieving machine. This dog loves to retrieve as well as he points and does an excellent job in the upland field. He would be a great dog to also take to those a little bit higher levels of, um, retrieving goals. Um, you got a smile, big smile. Sorry. He's just getting into that like smiley interactive cooing phase and it's super cute when he's not crying. Right guys. Um, but then like Ethan mentioned, sometimes if you're like a diehard duck hunter, getting a retrieving based dog would maybe be a better option. Um, and there's the other side of it is when you're looking at short hairs, they're not all created equally. We've talked about this before. So if you get a short hair, it may be from lines that aren't as retriever oriented. Um, so you're going to struggle on those retrieving, um, games that you're looking at. Uh, so if you are looking for a short hair, make sure you do your research and find one that is going to be from, you know, excellent retrieving lines, go work with the parents of the puppy that you might be getting. So you can see what level of retrieving desire and drive those dogs truly have. Like I jokingly said thunder, but I mean that puppy from day one has been a retrieving machine. You can watch him doing some of the retrieving drills that we did with clutch. And he was a little bit older than clutch, but he was doing those right along with him marking from a distance doing multiple marks. So, um, some short hairs can do it. Um, I think this was the next one. I didn't want to miss it. Uh, from Denny Wagner. When you're conditioning, should you start with one cue first, then move on to the next once they understand? Yes, that's, um, I think I was talking about that. And this question may have come in while we were still talking about that. When you start collar conditioning, you definitely want to make sure that you are introducing one cue at a time so that there doesn't add confusion and that you can make sure that that one behavior is truly conditioned solidly before you move on to the next. But then yes, you can introduce another cue. Once that's solid, then you can utilize both cues, even in a similar training session. So I think that was all the super chats. Um, Jorge Nar, which I'm again, sorry if I say that wrong. Um, said, yes, exactly. Live pig. He is already introduced to blood tracking and fully gun dog trained. He turns two years in October. So awesome. He sounds like he's definitely ready for this. Um, but never in a real hunt with a pig at the end of the blood trail. Um, my dog is a German wire hair pointer. Awesome. Okay. So one last question, um, Jorge, if you want to throw this in here so I can get you some more advice. Is this a blood trail that you need him to follow to find the pig? Or do you know where the pig is at the end of the blood trail? Like, 
what's the scenario going to be there? Because I have, once I get that um, last piece of the pie, I'll be able to answer this a little more fully. Jake said um, with a super chat, my one-year-old GSP runs a couple yards past the bumper, then turns around and grabs it on 99% of retrieves. How would I go about correcting this? Thanks. You mean he's just like balls to the walls, headed out there to make that retrieve and he scoots past it, then picks it up and comes back? Um, Or he's like lollygagging past it, kind of taking his time and coming back to it? Uh oh. I hope I don't have a coughing fit. <coughs> Ugh. So, if he's just balls to the walls going past that retrieve, scooting around and then coming back, picking it up and being very direct, I wouldn't really worry about correcting that anyway. If he is going out, lollygagging around, taking his time and picking it up and then coming back to you, um, if he's had a trained retrieve, you can utilize that training and that collar conditioning of going and getting it to keep on him with that, to basically drive him to that bumper and not allow him to, you know, take a sweet time and think about picking it up. So it definitely depends on, um, his training and what exactly he's doing. Um, if he's just super fast and trying to stop to get that retrieve and then come back. Okay, guys, Ethan gave me the you're on mom because he's got babies. So you get me for the rest of this. Um, yeah, well, which we're going to answer, finish up with um, Jorge's question with a little bit of information. And if Jake pimes, pipes in with a little more on his, we're going to finish those up and then we're going to have to call it a night. Sorry, with a little bit of a fussy baby. We're going to keep this one at just about an hour in length. So um you won't know. It's a real hunt on a private ranch. Wild pigs are making a lot of trouble. My dog will be on deer elk hunts this season. So I thought it would be good to bring Jack to this hunt as training. Um, so because he's had experience, he's two, he's a wire hair. Um, all these things mean that he's probably ready for his first track. Um, I would just when we track deer here, the dog has to be on lead. I don't know what your necessarily regulations are where you live. I would try and keep him on lead or keep really close to him so that you can be right there when he encounters that pig. So that if it is still alive, you can step in if it needs to be stepped in so that he doesn't get injured or scared of the situation. But ultimately he's prepared. You've done all of the groundwork and it's ready to put all of that training into action so that he can, um, you know, get gain experience. He needs now real hunting, trailing experiences to, um, gain the true, um, understanding that he needs to continue putting this together, especially for like your elk and deer hunts later on. Okay. Um, Jake said, yeah, she's full speed there and back. Thanks. Yeah. If she is just balls to the walls out there, picking it up, skidding past it, picking it up and coming back, I would not be worrying about correcting this. It's just a level of enthusiasm, excitement, drive, and desire that um, you're going to be able to continue harnessing in more retrieving drills, more steadiness drills, things like that. Um, And she's just a year old, so 
still super exuberant. So I would not say that at this point there's anything, um, that needs to be corrected because she's not making any mistakes. Um, she's doing exactly what we want at this point, going out, picking it up, bringing it right back, um, as fast as she can basically. So that is, um, my recommendation there. Okay. One more last one guys downtown. Wait, wait, when do GSP stop growing? Mine is eight months old and still somewhat small. Uh, so typically we say short hairs <clears throat> get to be about their full height at around a year. And then males, especially if they're left intact, will continue to muscle out and fully get to the weight that they're going to be between two and three years old. Then, um, if you would happen to neuter them at around a year, they're probably not going to muscle out a lot more. They're going to get to be the height that they are and the musculature that they are at that year. Cause they don't have any more testosterone than driving that muscle growth and development. Um, females typically around a year is going to be their height and their weight that they're going to be, um, at that point. So you still got about four months before your short hair, um, is the full height. Um, and then also potentially a little bit more cause you didn't say if it's a male or a female, um, but potentially could gain a little bit more weight and small is relative. Um, you know, I don't know what size your dog is, what height they are. Every breeder breeds for different, um, characteristics. Our females are typically, about 50 pounds average. Um, some of our females are a little bit smaller weighing in at like 45 pounds. Allie would be one of those females. That's a little bit smaller. Then we've got some bigger girls like, uh, muddy and grit that are closer to that 55 pound mark. And they're a little bit taller females as well. Our males are typically, um, between 60 and 70 pounds. Vex is kind of that middle of the road at 63 pounds. And then Nix is a little bit bigger, um, at about 65 to 68 pounds, depending. Um, so there are other breeders out there that have, you know, like 75 pound males or 80 pound males. And that's definitely not something we're looking to breed and produce. Um, as well as some females get really small and are only like 35 pounds. And I'm also not looking to produce that small of a short hair as well. So um, that's some general information on sizes. Um, but you still have some growing time at just being eight months old. So thank you guys. Sorry, Ethan had to bop out here. Um, next week we will be live again on Wednesday, seven thirty central standard time. We still won't have grandma. So hopefully Cade will be a little more cooperative in our evening schedule. Um, he will be six weeks old by then. So hopefully a little more into a, a set routine, but it is still kind of hit and miss with him, but we appreciate you guys. Um, understanding and patience with that. We hope you like this content. Uh, and we got to all of our super chats. So we appreciate you guys throwing out those super chats as well. And we'll be asking for topic suggestions again. Um, but next week we've already decided on what we're doing fireworks since, uh, it's coming up on the 4th of July. So we will be talking about that. If you guys have other suggestions though, for topics in the future, let us know and we will get to those. So Thank you all. I'm going to try and figure out how to sign us off since that's normally what Ethan does. So I know there's a button somewhere to say, see ya guys. Yep. There it is. End stream. Bye-bye.